Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Sunday, December the 17th, 2023. It is the third Sunday of Advent. We are getting close. I hear there have been various Santa sightings all over the place. Ha ha ha. Anyway, we enter into the time of what we call the O Antiphons, beginning today. And I was talking about that a little bit yesterday. And today's gospel reading is from the gospel according to St. John. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. But there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So I have one particular thing I wanted to focus on here today, but like I always say, as I read the reading, there's always so much more that comes to me. So the thing that came to me while I was reading just now is, why do we always have to have answers? Why do we always have to define everything? Why do we have to know, oh, this is this person? Who who is this exactly? What is the role of this person? Why can't we just accept the fact that God is always doing new things? And that each one of us, as Pope John Paul would always say, is unique and unrepeatable. Therefore, this person is someone new. Okay, good. They're new. God has blessed them in a certain way. God has given them gifts, and now they're going to do this new thing. This new thing is happening, and it's great. It's amazing. God is doing it, and God could use you and me. We don't have to be someone, quote unquote, in terms of lineage, in terms of, oh, yes, I was predicted. I I just I go back to uh, the recent Star Wars trilogy that was in the theaters um, where there's this character. She's the main character. Her name is Ray and she has special powers and she's really great. She does. You know, the the actress Daisy Ridley does a great job playing her. And everybody and their mother, everybody under the sun is asking the question, who is she exactly? And I kept saying throughout the trilogy when I went to see it and when we were discussing it, why does she have to be somebody according to your standards, according to previous stories? Now, in the third movie, they did actually make her related to a previous character and therefore it gives certain meaning to all of it. And Okay, so big deal. They did it, but they didn't have to do it. I, I almost feel like the uh, the studio forced that into the third movie just to answer all the questions of the fans. Like, she can't just be someone new 
even though one of the points of the trilogy was that there are all these new ones, meaning force-wielding uh, people, people with special powers. There's new ones. In other words, the force is always doing something new. There's always new people with new powers. So why couldn't they give that to the main character as well? No, she had to be linked in with something previous. Anyway, it's just my little pet peeve. It's a little side note. Um, you know, you and I, we might be related to kings and queens and popes, and then maybe we're not. And it doesn't matter because if God wants to use you, God wants to use me, he can, and he can do something new and something amazing. When you think about the most important people in church history, St. Francis of Assisi, for example, oh, who's he related to? He must've been related to one of the apostles or something. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. And yet, yeah, there is a lineage, but it's a different lineage. It's a spiritual lineage. St. Francis was ordained a deacon. Okay. Well, that deacon was ordained by a bishop, and that bishop was ordained by a bishop. And yeah, they could trace that back to the apostles if they wanted to. <coughs> and yeah, for ordination, it is a necessary thing. Anyway, we get back to John the Baptist here, and they keep asking him, who are you? You must be this person. You must be that person. What does he say? He says something that's different than what they're expecting, but he still is connected to an Old Testament prophecy. I am the voice crying out in the desert, make straight the path of the Lord. Now, I wanted to focus on this today partially because there's a lot of, uh, not discrepancy, but there's a lot of discussion around this quote because there was no punctuation in the Bible, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. You know, as we get more and more current, there's more and more punctuation. But the point is, when this was originally written in the prophet Isaiah, there's no punctuation. So now when it's interpreted in the gospel, according to St. John, and let me get very exact what we just saw here. I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, comma, make straight the way of the Lord. Well, John is in the desert. It's true. And he's crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. But it is said when the prophet Isaiah said this, that there would be a voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord, that he put the comma or people interpreting it, put the comma after the word out. In other words, it would sound like this. The voice of one crying out comma in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. I just wanted to make that our little uh, meditation for today. In the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. You might think, well, I'm not in the desert. I live in a house in the suburbs. Okay. We're all in the desert. Guess what? We're all in the desert. The desert is such an important theme in our faith. Whether we're called to be monks or whether we're not. When Pope Benedict picked the name Benedict... He said there were two reasons. One was continuity with the previous Pope Benedict, Benedict XV, which was about 100 years prior. But the other reason was he believed that the spirit of St. Benedict is needed for our times. Now, what does that mean exactly? Benedict saw that the church had become corrupt. This is now the fifth century. In the fourth century, the church, the Christianity became legal. 
And up to that point, they were being martyred, but they were very holy and they were constantly growing. Then the Roman Empire accepted Christianity. Then the Roman Empire became Christian. And after they enjoyed a few years of just Christianity being on the top of the world, after being on the bottom of the world, literally in the catacombs, now Christianity is becoming corrupt because the Christian leaders are hand in hand, arm in arm with the secular leaders. And when that happens, Christianity gets informed by the society versus the other way around. And Christianity and Christian leaders become corrupted. It's what we see today in the Western world, and we've seen it before. And then the church shrinks because it's corrupted, because it's now so mainstream that the meaning of the words, I believe in God, don't lead us to things like martyrdom anymore. In other words, I'm not saying we should all be killed and tortured and stuff, but the meaning of those words, knowing I might be martyred, I still say it, I believe in God. Whereas now it's a status symbol. Even now we live in a post-Christian society, so it still is a status symbol. Sometimes I talk to people about their faith, they get so offended because I'm questioning their social status. Well, excuse me, I happen to love Jesus, I want a relationship with him, and I'm thinking that you do too, so therefore I'm talking about it in the way I might talk about um, your interests, your loves, and if there's a negative thing, like you're lost in your sins, well then maybe I talk about it the way a doctor says, are you aware you have cancer? We need to take medicine. We need to do this. We need to do that. Are you aware you're in danger of losing your soul? But a lot of times people interpret it as, oh, he's questioning my social status. He's saying that I'm not as good as him and I'm not going to be as popular as him or something. So anyway, St. Benedict lived at a time when church leadership had become superficial and corrupt, very political. And so he said, we need to start something new. We need to go into the desert. And he founded monasticism. And I love reading his life story. I'm not going to give you the whole thing here. But it renewed the faith, breaking away from society and what everybody else is doing, breaking away from the corruption, breaking away from the anxieties of the world and the craziness of the world and saying, no, we're going to be set apart and we're going to live our lives for Jesus. We're going to focus on him, even if that means we don't make as much money even if that means we don't have social status, even if everybody thinks we're crazy, we're going to break away. And Pope Benedict recently said, I choose this name for that reason. This is what the church needs to do right now. We need to break away. The mainstream church is doing the typical Sunday morning thing where we whip through mass with a quick sermon and and we sing the latest popular songs and we hurry up and we get over to the hall for the party. Or we just hurry up and get out of there so we can get to our football games. Whereas what is the faithful remnant doing right now? They're doing mass in Latin. They're going to other kinds of things, services, or lay movements, lay organizations, religious movements, religious organizations. I am a third order member of a new religious community, the community of St. John. And, you know, they're semi-monastic and it's... I feel that sentiment of St. Benedict and Pope Benedict when I go and I worship with them, that we're going to celebrate their uh, feast day, the Feast of St. John, two days after Christmas. 
And it's going to be an experience of something different, something out of the ordinary. We begin the feast with a holy hour, and it's just beautiful. And it's so reverent, and it's so prayerful, and there's lots of silence and some beautiful music intertwined. And then we have a beautiful mass set in a way that's different than your local typical parish mass, more reverent, more simple, more devout, more prayerful. And this is how they celebrate their feast, but this is also how they live every day. And they invite people to come and pray with them every single day. One of the, um, one of the basic charisms, the top-level charisms of monastic orders, such as the community of St. John, such as the, uh, the Benedictines, is hospitality. In other words, no matter who you are, especially if you're a priest, but no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, you're welcome. You're welcome to stay over. You're welcome to pray. You're welcome to spend time in the silence. They might not be able to talk to you. I brought my mom one time on a retreat to the community of St. John. She was a little offended they weren't talking to her. I said, Mom, they're in silence. (laughs) And then we got in an argument over the food because, you know, we're so accustomed to wasting food. You take what you want and then you don't finish it all. And I said, no, Mom, they they live in poverty. You know, you can't waste food. They, They don't waste any food. You know, you, you take a little bit. If you're still hungry, you take a little bit more. And they don't worry about uh, rationing the food or anything or getting the fanciest, nicest food. No, they trust in providence. The Lord is always giving. And so people donate and they always have what they need. Sometimes they have to go out and buy stuff with maybe donations they were given. Sometimes they're just given the food. And then they become better cooks as they go. They learn how to prepare it. Anyway. During this Advent season, it's a time to go into the desert. It's a time to break free. Whether we're talking about breaking free from what the local church is typically doing or what our society is doing. In society, they've already been celebrating Christmas. And that means the shopping, the songs, the movies, the decorating. We as Christians are in the season of Advent This is a time to prepare our hearts for the grace of Jesus Christ to come into our hearts, for the Holy Spirit to come, for the baby to be born. And we unite ourselves mystically with Mary and Joseph and John the Baptist, preparing for the Savior. What does that mean practically? Make time for prayer. Make time for sacrifice. When Christmas comes, we celebrate. When Christmas comes, we enjoy And then we have the season of Christmas, which in the old calendar went for 40 days. In the new calendar, it still goes for like three weeks. But we celebrate, we enjoy, we, I don't want to say indulge like it's a sinful thing, but we, uh, we experience the joy of heaven to the degree that we've prepared our hearts through prayer, making a good confession, being with Mary, praying the rosary, doing Marian devotions a little fasting here and there. Instead of indulging with all the Christmas food right now, we should be giving up a few things. But it's just so very, very important. What what matters most, and this is what our parishes should be doing as well, but in our homes, you know, creating that sacred space, even if you got to decorate your tree, you're, you're putting up decorations, this and that, you're getting ready for the practical side of Christmas. You know, you're having company soon, things like that. But at the same time, We are setting aside time to be with Jesus, 
spend some time reading scripture, meditate with the Blessed Mother. Even, you know, you got to watch movies or whatever with your kids. Your kids are looking for things to put on the TV or whatever. How about we turn off the Grinch and Frosty the Snowman a little bit, a little bit, and put on some meditations on the Christmas story. Whether it's a cartoon movie, whether it's a live action movie. Last night, some friends of mine and I went to see The Chosen. This is now their third Christmas special that they've put into the theaters. And it was absolutely beautiful. It was a tearjerker. It was so beautiful. Between the music and the, the live action sequence of just, they, they keep each year, they do the Christmas story, but from someone else's point of view. So it was really amazing. It was something really to shed a tear over. So the Lord calls us to the desert to be with him in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. It's not just that John the Baptist is in the desert. God is calling all of us to the desert, whatever that means for you. So let's go to the desert with Mary and Joseph and prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus into our lives. Have a great day. God bless you.